Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome in to Action Movie Rewind here on Mackie and Jeb, where we do deep dives into some of the most prominent action movies of all time. And we have made a commitment to knock out, at some point in this journey, all of the Fast and the Furious franchise films. And uh, we've made it to number two here, boys. Too Fast, Too Furious from 2003, the year that old Mackadak graduated high school. Mm, wow. a, lot of, a lot of cultural and Cultural things and trends that I remember from the early 2000s that I think probably stem from these first two Fast and the Furious movies. You know, people putting spoilers on crappy cars and oh, yeah. track lighting and some of the clothes, the, the low, frosted tips. Frosted t- the low-rise jeans girls used to wear. Like the yep. just Oh, my God. It's just absurd. Some of the fashion trends are amazing. The <laughs> e- Echo Unlimited. I noticed some Echo Unlimited. Yep. Remember some Echo? Oh, my God. Mark Echo. That was huge back then. Yes, yeah, so Paul, Paul Walker was kind of a trendsetter for that generation of oh, teenagers. We have, and, we have a statement on I, that, I think, when I, we get I to it. A, yeah, I got a thought on that yeah. one. Okay, so yeah. we'll we'll get to our statements on this movie here. But let's set it up here. Let's let's frame up Too Fast, Too Furious. The sequel focuses on ex-police officer Brian O'Connor, who relocates from Los Angeles to Miami to start over. Becoming involved in the street racing scene in his new city, Brian befriends car-savvy Tej, played by Ludacris, and Suki, played by Devin Aoki. But his competitive streak ends when federal agents apprehend him, and he must enter into a deal with the FBI. Working with new partner Roman Pierce, played by Tyrese, <laughs> Brian begins a dangerous mission to take down a powerful drug dealer. 36% on Rotten Tomatoes. Seems a little harsh to That's me. That's a little harsh. The critics consensus says beautiful people and beautiful cars in a movie that won't tax your brain cells. <laughs> yeah, that's accurate. Oh, okay. Sounds about right. Yeah, that's very accurate. This movie had a $76 million budget that they turned into $236 million at the box office. Nice mm-hmm. job. Paul Walker, Tyrese Gibson, Ludacris, Eva Mendez. Um, some production notes for you guys here before we get into our statements. So Vin Diesel was not in this movie, notably, nor was he in the next movie. But he was offered $25 million to return in the sequel as Dom Toretto. This is 20 years ago. This dude was offered $25 million to come back for the sequel. However, he refused after reading the screenplay as he felt that the movie's potential was inferior compared to the original. And instead, he he chose to appear in the Chronicles of Riddick instead, which did pretty good at the box office, but terrible movie though. 
not quite yes, the uh, the level of the fast franchise. He later on in different interviews said he he regrets the decision that the the franchise deserved to have Dom in the sequel and in retrospect he he would have said yes. How is Vin Diesel? So one he's right. Like the first one's really pretty good. This one is is fun, but it's not it's not nearly as well written. But how is Vin Diesel of all people making career decisions based on on what he considers to be the art of the content? <laughs> right. Like like and then, like, and then since choosing when is the guy Chronicles like that, of Riddick. Yeah. I'll be on I'll be on stage in Broadway. He, Screw you. He got like this weird weird like I don't know feeling that he was bigger than that. Like he did Chronicles of Riddick. He did Triple X. Do you guys remember Triple X? Yes, like Agent X, whatever the hell it is. Yeah. Super weird. So like he, I feel like he thought he was, he had moved on from these like, yeah, from these like campy kind of funny, corny car yeah. roles. And he thought like he was out this like big shot, maybe like Tom Cruise-esque action. And it's like, dude, you're Vin Diesel. Oh like you're God. just a big goofy Bro, guy. Yeah, and that's not, okay. You're not, you're not Denzel Washington yeah. or Tom <laughs> yeah. Hanks here guy. You're turning down $25 million. And of course, you know, the, sometimes the more you try to get away, I mean, Daniel Craig did this with Bond, the Bond franchise for the last three. He's like, I'm never doing a Bond movie again. It's right. like, bro, you're James Bond now. Okay. okay. And, and he's great though. Like, like that's yeah. the thing. Like it's, oh my God, this guy is too good. Like with Vin, they're probably like, Hey dude, you don't want it too bad. Yeah. So also notably uh, missing from this movie was Ja Rule. So Ja Rule was in the original and yeah. Ja Rule was offered. So Ja Rule made $15,000 in the original. Because he wasn't quite, he was becoming Ja Rule at the time, but by this point he was full fledged Ja Rule, like he was a a collaborative uh, hip hop icon, right? And he was offered a half million dollars to return for the sequel, which was much more than the fifteen thousand dollars he made for the first movie. And according to the director, quote, Ja got too big for himself. He turned down a half million dollars. He was acting like he was too big to be in the sequel. He wouldn't return our calls. And instead, the director hired Chris Bridges, otherwise known as Ludacris, Ooh, who's great. as the substitute. I love Ludacris. And I think uh, Ja Rule had a nice little run there, but I think Ludacris is the is higher up on the sort of the hip-hop icon pecking order. So, mm-hmm. sorry, Ja. All right, boys, let's, uh, we'll start with Judd here. Statements about Too Fast, Too Furious. <laughs> okay, I'm just going to immediately rip the Band-Aid off about the wardrobe of uh, Paul Walker, uh. a.k.a. Brian O'Connor, and say this. <laughs> for a guy who's supposed to be cool, Brian O'Connor's al- outfits, for the most part, resemble mine. Yeah. Like, those, sh- I've got those shorts. I wear them all the time. West like, Coast those shoppers. shorts. You got the West yes, Coast I've got them. T-shirt. I've got them, and I love them. They're very comfortable. But, like, literally, I'm like, dude stole my wardrobe <laughs> for this film. Yeah. And like Phil said, it transcended, you know, oh, my God, I got to get these, I got to get those. Now, I'm sure his shoes beat my shoes, but I'm saying as far as the actual wardrobe, the clothes, my God, it was, it's like me on a yep. Saturday. T-shirts, he had that kind of Vans look. I don't know if he was wearing Vans, but at one point he had kind of the high skateboarder yeah, socks. He had, with he had Chucks on at one point, too. He had like Chuck Taylors okay. on That's at cool. one point. But yeah, he had the Chucks. high socks and like probably some some Jordans or Air Maxes. Yes, it was. He, to me, he dressed, the first person I thought of was he's dressing like Tony Hawk, the, the prominent skateboarder from the, yeah. the 90s and yeah. early 2000s. Yeah. Baggier but, t-shirt, yeah. You think about that hairstyle too, with kind of the the frosted tips and the hair gel. Justin Timberlake, early two thousands, and Paul Walker. Oh yeah, maybe a little Freddie Prinze, but those guys, man, millions of seventeen to twenty five year old guys 
styled their hair that way because of Paul Walker and Justin Timberlake. But the wardrobe. I can't get past the wardrobe. Oh, my God. It's so mm-hmm. good. Mm-hmm. Iconic, man. All right, Dex. All right. Uh, this piggybacks perfect after Judd's statement. My, my, my statement is Brian O'Connor is just, he is the perfect white guy. Like, like he is, he is so stereotypical white dude that thinks he's like the hip guy and the guy that's a lot cooler than he thinks he is. Um, the don't worry about it cuss scene, which like it, that has taken over TikTok like over the last year where he's talking to Tyrese and he's like trying to figure out like, what are you doing? Like, what, what is this all about? Don't worry about it, cuh. Like it's... It's the Keanu kind of cringe factor, but also like only Brian O'Connor and I should say Paul Walker can pull that type of stuff off where he thinks he's a lot cooler than he is. And then it, it, to Judd's point, the fashion, his aura, his whole being like spawned that type of dude that probably Phil knew a lot. Because I was 11, 12 when this came out. Phil was graduating high school, so he probably had obviously a lot more social cues and awareness than I did. But I'm sure mm, the people in really. – but look, yeah, probably not. But people in high school – Phil got to experience and see that a lot more where I was like, you know, graduating elementary school. Um, but it, it dawned the perfect, hilarious white guy. Brian O'Connor is is that dude. And I love it. For yeah, it, it's like this, like laid back a little bit. I, I think what makes me uncomfortable is he's clearly altering his dialogue. Yeah. To sound different yes. or almost to sound like Tyrese. Yes. And so it, it, feel, it feels a little uncomfortable how how forced it is. Um, and maybe even how it's it's like he's like almost trying to mimic a a, a black person in yeah. some of his like he's going out of his way to act that way and yeah. I don't know it made me a little uncomfortable to watch it but it was definitely a cultural thing back in the early two yeah. thousands to there was a I, I think I think black and hip hop culture spilled into the mainstream so much in the early two thousands and a lot of white guys too were. <laughs> I don't know. It was oh, that's been, it was yeah. a weird confluence right. of yes. culture and <laughs> young guys. I was told too, to be uh, to be. No, you got, I was told to be Paul Walker for Halloween from uh, from my girlfriend. You've I, got I was some told, Paul Walker. Uh, there's some, there's yeah, some Paul Walker vibes. Could do it. The most important thing though is this, and and he's got this down to a science. And I'm guessing it's how he used to walk. But his walk, yeah, is like it's a fake limp. Yeah, it's a, yes. it's a fake and, limp. Yeah, and that was a little bit of a way to walk. strut. Yeah, you know. And the shirt's long, so it's Sup, hanging Suki? out. Yeah. yeah. Like, it's this yeah. it, It's this specialized walk. Oh, God. It's interesting. Um, I, all right, I'll, I'll go with this one. I'll take us down a different path here. Making a living as a street racer seems like a very stressful profession. Mm-hmm. So every time, because the beginning of the movie, he's he is a professional street racer, and he's just, he, I love how he gets a phone call from Ludacris. Hey, we start in, we start in four minutes. I'll be there, cuz. And he hops in his car, drives 400 miles an hour down the freeway, and he's just there in four minutes. He's just waiting yes. waiting for the phone call yes. to, to come down there at the last minute. But you're constantly running from the police. You're driving 160 miles an hour through city streets with all sorts of things you could potentially crash into. Yep. You're jumping bridges. I don't know. And were they, okay, were they racing for $3,500? When they say... 3500 right? I was like, if it's yeah. thirty grand, and yeah, you're no winning way. that every race. Maybe it's, it's worth it, but 3500 3, So how many? You're going to have to race how many times? More, dangerously. It just doesn't seem like enough money to be driving uh, that recklessly, you know, however many times you have to do it. But it seems like a very stressful profession is my statement. Absolutely. I think that's fair. All right, here's mine. And this, and this is a problem in the franchise that I have seen. So we're through two of them now. This is a problem 
that I broached in the first one, and when when I believe it was um, O'Connor went in undercover to a raid where he was helping arrest people that, that he had tried to befriend as a bad guy. So in this one, here's my statement. How do O'Connor and Roman Pierce continue to go throughout the course of this film to visit federal agents and not get made? Like, they're supposedly being tailed constantly, right? Like, those two um, those two guys are tailing them all the time. Yeah. But, like, there are multiple scenes where they, like, go... <laughs> personally update and and it's not like at a secluded thing they're like going to a house or something with like so, tons of windows and stuff yes yes yeah. they they would have been made in a heartbeat like this film clearly <laughs> i either want you to believe that the bad guys are total blithering incompetent morons which might be true or they just don't care it is hilarious because yeah you know, at one point man they're following us so closely we need to light their windshield on fire to get away from them but then in another scene, they're not following us at all, so we can just have meetings with the FBI in yes. plain daylight yes. with gigantic windows. Uh, yeah, I think the the police and the FBI are not always the most thought-out characters in these movies. Um, I miss Eva Mendez. That's a statement. I'm going to jump in here real quick. Yeah. I'm, I miss because I just pulled mm. this up on Wikipedia. Mm-hmm. Retired. She hasn't acted since 2014. Yeah. She, yeah, her last movie was Lost River in 2014. Mm-hmm. She, because she's married to Ryan Gosling, I believe, correct? Or their partners? Their partners, and they, yeah. I think I think they have kids too. And I, yes. I, I believe she she like did an interview. I saw this a few years ago. I don't know if it was like with Entertainment Tonight or something, but she, she like she wanted to focus on being a mom and didn't didn't want to go back into acting at all. And obviously, like if her partner is Ryan Bleeping Gosling, who's arguably right. like the biggest actor on the planet the last like five, six years, or at least one of the highest grossing, I should say. Um, why would you want to act? And if you kind of rid off that chapter, it makes a lot of sense. But I do miss but her. She was, she was every bit as big as Ryan Gosling, if not bigger for a while. I mean, she was in, she was in early in her career. So this was one of her like first seven or eight movies, Too Fast, Too Furious. And then, and then it was Once Upon a Time in Mexico. Great movie. Stuck on You, Hitch was probably her peak. Um, she was in Knocked Up. She was in a couple other movies of, of prominence. So she was she was huge, like fifteen. Desperate years Housewives ago. too. Was she a Desperate Housewife? That's no, that is not her. You're, are you thinking of Eva? Oh, Longoria? that's not her. Are you thinking of Eva, Eva Longoria. Longoria. Eva Longoria. Oh, I'm sorry. Close. Yeah, you know it's very close. <laughs> same name, same first name. <laughs> same first name. So you this whole time you were like, oh, Tony Parker's ex-wife is pretty good in Too Fast, Too Furious. <laughs> that's what I was thinking. Yeah. Oh yeah, totally. It's exactly what I was thinking. I mean, you know what? Oh, yeah. I, I gotta admit. I mean, it's very close. Very Amazing. close. I don't know. I don't. I mean, they maybe they were prominent in the same era, but I don't know if they were. Uh, she was apparently in the music video uh, "Miami" with Will Smith in 1998. She oh, was funny. in "Hole in My Soul" Aerosmith in 1997, and also "Act a Fool," which was I think in this movie "Ludicrous" 2003. So she's been in some music videos. Okay. No. Sorry. All right. Back to Declan. All right. My next statement. Um. My statement is this film laid the groundwork for cars doing things in the franchise they shouldn't ever be able to do. So <laughs> yeah. quickly, let's go back to the first movie, just Fast and the Furious. It's just it's it's street racing, right? It's it's the politics of street racing. It's a, an inside glimpse of what this could be like. And that's what it is. Just them racing cars against each other. Some good guys, some bad guys, some cops involved, but but not really like it's mostly just watching like two different sides of street racing. And that's fun. It's fine. In Too Fast, Too Furious, we get a little bit more of that, 
But then the cops and FBI are involved. And at the end of the movie, we fly a car into a boat that yeah. that does not explode, that does not cause. I mean, it causes some injuries like Tyrese breaks his arm and, and they're able to apprehend the, the antagonist. But this laid the groundwork for the next like six, seven movies to do things that cars should never be allowed to do. They like just to give you a sneak peek. They fly cars out of airplanes in the next movie. They're flying cars down mountains in the next movie. Like too fast, too furious laid the groundwork for fast and the furious franchise to be completely over the top with that car going into the boat. I love that last scene. I love they, they just said, listen, you know, okay, this movie doesn't have Dom Toretta. So we need to, how, how do we put a couple more points of emphasis on this movie, some of the some of the other scenes here, and I've, I've got a statement on one, but I, li- I like that they went over the top. And I think part of the reason why this franchise is always just guaranteed half billion dollars at the box office is because, yeah, it's like it's it's cool. It's way unrealistic. You have to suspend your your disbelief for for two hours when you when you watch these. All right, Judd. All right. My next statement is going to be a positive one about the film with what I or with what I believe to be the most effective scene. Like just as far as like it could happen, it's extremely disturbing and it's well done. When they use the rat on oh. the detective and put the rat in the heat and do the blowtorch and basically say it is going to continue to go south and and, and basically destroy you um unless you agree to do what we want. That is a great scene. Yes, because they show just enough where it, where it makes you cringe. Oh, like God. it really makes you like, I don't know if I can watch this, uh, but it's completely plausible. Like you could do that. So I thought that was probably their best, most effective use of uh, being gross. My statement on that, because I had the same thought, was the rat under a bucket torture method is very innovative. I don't know yes. that we've seen anything like that in a movie before. I like and then they, they pull the bucket off and you see all the claw and bite marks on the guy's yes. stomach and stuff. It's when you get quiet that you have to start worrying. Just like, oh, God, it's, yeah, I, I, don't, oh, I don't do well with, oh, with like, God. rodents and, like, mice. And oh, I that agree. I, I, I don't, know. I don't do well with a lot of things, but especially not those either. So they're not good. I agree. <laughs> not good. So disgusting. Okay, uh, high school Phil Mackey definitely tried the stare and drive tactic a couple times oh, to, God. Uh, to impress girls. Oh, my God. Did, yeah. did you really? In his 1992 Silver Camry with a, with a tape deck. It's not even that cool. Oh, it's cool. Oh, it's cool. Dude, I didn't it's, even it's, think it's it was that cool. Yeah, it's badass. Now, I wouldn't do the... He was looking straight sideways at... I think Eva Mendez was in the car with him, right? And so he was looking straight sideways. Old Macadac would look kind of 45-degree angle, and, you know, just, just to be sure oh, on those Connie Roads in Buffalo, Minnesota. Oh. And he would probably only do it for, like, two or three seconds. Not quite the Paul Walker level, but... Oh yeah, the you want to you want to impress a gal this this the stare and drive tactic in your early nineties Camry. Did it You're work, welcome, guys? No, it did not. Because no, I would tell not. you, look at the road, you idiot. It did yeah. not work. Yeah, yeah. Why are you staring at me? Please just drop me off. Let me out of the car. Oh my god. Yeah. Okay. Anyhow, uh, my next statement: there, there's nothing like uh, a good car chase in any movie to remind me how terrible cops are at their jobs. So, so just numerous times throughout this film, like cops trying to trying to get down the street racers, and even at one point, um, at the beginning of the movie, when when Brian gets apprehended after his street race, nine nine cops with guns on a street car seem a little aggressive for street racing to me. You know, it just like seems a little bit over the top to have like a dozen cops. I don't know if you noticed when he, like he realized he's going to get had. There's like nine of yeah. them 
surrounding them with guns. Like, it just seems a little aggressive for just some street yeah, racing. Yeah, why would, why would you need that, right? Is it assumed that he has some sort of ammunition in the car because he's an edgy street yeah. racer or drugs or something? Or I don't, Yeah, I was, I was kind of wondering the same thing. This seems a little excessive to be. Listen, the guy's just trying to make a living. You know, driving up and down the streets at 2 o'clock in the morning, you know, nine guns on him. And just watching them try to keep up with the street racers. And I'm sure, like, there are definitely some cops that are trained for this, that obviously they, they have to pursue at high speed, so they're, they're used oh, yeah. to it. But LA, Every day in L.A. It's exactly. But TV like, ratings go through the roof. Paul Walker and, and Tyrese, like, just making the cops look like idiots. And it just reminds me every time we watch movies like this, like, man, cops, they make cops look like idiots in this job uh, yeah. and, and it's, it always reminds me in, in these hilarious, fast and the furious or any hilarious action movie they're, they're just awful at doing that this franchise clearly hates cops yes which, which brings me to this statement so they basically do a great bait and switch on the cops to great. get away from them great. to go chase um the bad guy and like they they all go in the garage and then different and then all these cars come out and the cops don't know and the cops end up following the wrong car in a high-speed chase so, let me get this straight. At the end of said high-speed chase, while the bad guys, in the opinions of the cops, have gotten away, Tez is on his 2003 cell phone talking to Brian with a cop right there, and the cop is simply going to write him a ticket. So, like, you just pulled a bait and switch. The cops want to know, supposedly, where Brian and his <laughs> friend are. And instead, he's like, you're going to have to pay me back for this. And the cop is just sitting there writing a ticket like he got pulled over on 494 at 5 o'clock doing 80. <laughs> yeah, well, you also mentioned within what you just said, the communication methods as they're in different vehicles. At one point, they were on walkie-talkies at the end of the movie, too. Yeah. So they were, so they were on early 2000s cell phones at one point, and then they were on walkie-talkies at another point. That's not that long ago. No. That's less than 20 years ago. And now everyone, not everyone, but like, you know, pretty much every new vehicle built in the last 10 years, especially the new, new ones, well, half of them can drive themselves seemingly, but you've got, you've got Bluetooth or you've got Apple CarPlay or something, and you can just call whoever you want. You can just have them on speakerphone in your car. And back then it was like, I'm driving 180 miles an hour and I'm on a walkie talkie. And there's a guy that might have a gun to my right also. It's very stressful. And you're going to get a ticket. That's my favorite thing, though. Here's your ticket. Now go home and drive slowly. What the hell are we talking about here? It's hilarious. Yeah. All right. Back to, back to Declan. All right. Uh, my next statement is I'm, I'm actually glad that Brian O'Connor doesn't get Monica Fuentes at the end of this movie. And yeah. so he's he's flirting with her the whole it's obvious he's interested and even tight, you know, Roman says, like, there's one thing that always gets me in trouble. It's, you know, being dumb and, and getting in trouble with the law with you. It's always a female like you're always getting in trouble with the female. And that's what derades our plan. And even though he like courts her and makes his attempt at her, he doesn't get her at the end of the movie. He, I think, is still in love with Mia Toretto. Which eventually this oh, franchise okay. comes back in, obviously. So the were they Toretto's, thinking about oh. that, perhaps? Maybe. And there's only mm. subtle hints right at Dom. Um, he like uh, Roman asks him when they're at the pier about like, so like, is that why you let that guy go in L.A.? Which is a clear reference to Vin Diesel's character of like, that's why you got let go, and that's why you got out of the cop, uh, being a policeman. But I think him not getting Monica Fuentes with number one was good for that movie, but also for the bigger scheme of the franchise. Because if he gets Monica, like, does she come back in? To the fold, and by the way, I haven't seen all of these movies, so I'm not sure if I don't she's think not, she does. I don't think she came back at all. Yeah, 
So I I like that he doesn't. Never get... mind. She did. She did. She yeah, does. She did. Okay. She... Oh, Pass. she's in Fast Five. She's in Fast yeah. Five. Yes. But but he doesn't get her, which would have complicated things with him and Mia, which I like about this movie. That part I'm a fan of. Actually, and I've never again, I've never seen Fast Five. That's the one that a lot of people rave the most about. She had an uncredited camo in Fast Five. I'm sure there's a lot of people that are screaming at their YouTube uh, channel or podcast, saying, you idiots. This I have no idea what role she plays in Fast Five. But that's three movies from. I've only you know. seen the next. Not to, I've seen Tokyo Drift, which is just awful. But I've seen the next one in this franchise's order, and then I haven't seen any of the other ones. That's the other. Like, so that. I've only seen one more of these that you guys haven't seen. Yeah. I love this. I love that we're doing this together for the first time. Yeah, but 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 maybe they were because I mean Vin Diesel was kind of accusing them of this is basically just a whole new story with zero connection to the right. The only connection is just like. Brian is still around and he moved to a different city and there's a couple of vague references. But by the end of this movie, they're clearly thinking about what you said. Cause why, if it was just kind of a, this is the last one. Why would you not have them together at the end of the movie? Unless you were planning for something bigger down the road with a different so did, character. So it, is this the script that Vin read or was there a plan to make it more connected to the first one? And then he said, I'm out. And so they, they had him move. Yeah, it, it felt like they, they did a good job of establishing Brian's new life. So there's a write up on actually on the Wikipedia page. Oh, I, got, I love Wikipedia, man. About this, it's always there. For me. So let's see here, Vin Diesel. So because I, I think there were two scripts written okay, that, for this. That makes sense. Um, let's see here. He refused. Uh, where did I see this? Yeah, he chose to appear in the Chronicles of Riddick. According to Variety Magazine, he was less taken with what the screenwriters had in mind for the film. Uh, quote from Vin Diesel, they didn't take a Francis Ford Coppola approach to it. They approached it like they did sequels in the 80s and 90s when they could just drum up a new story unrelated for the most part and slap the same name on it. Um, I think I did read somewhere that they had two different versions and maybe he didn't even like the version that he was right. originally in. So, right. so uh, there you have it. Um I uh, I love the way that they trash talk each other in their cars during the street races. So um, who was the the woman again in this movie? It was Suki. Uh, Suki. Yeah. So Suki had a couple like just the corniest. Oh, my God. Bend over, boy, yeah. was one of them. Woo, smack that ass yeah, was one. another one. So they just had they're just like. It's corny as hell. They're, you know, they're, their lives are on the line here as they're driving this fast and they're banging into stuff, and yet they're just they're just happily dishing out these corny quotes. To How each about other. the drawbridge at oh, yeah. the start, that first race where, where he has access? I love that one. He has access to a drawbridge. What was your guys? Because there's so many chase scenes or race scenes in this movie. My my, oh, my favorite God. one was right in the middle of the movie, and uh, and it was like. They were doing like a tag team street race, and Brian and and uh, Tyrese, I guess, they had to they had to go down and back, and then down and back. And Brian yep. was behind, going into his leg, and so he plays chicken with the opposing car. I love that scene because there's there's only one way you're not going to be able to just beat him, so you got to find yeah. a way to throw his car off. And he plays yep. chicken, and he he doesn't uh, decommit from his line. I thought that was a just a great heart pounding scene. <laughs> All in. I think I like the first one because the drawbridge thing is so stupid, but yet cool. Yeah. Yeah. 
And the one guy's like, hell no. And he like veers off and uh, Brian jumps the bridge. So Um, here's my next statement. This occurred to me, especially to Dex's point with this one, because the the actual chases and and the scenes became more absurd, where one one was absurd at times, but not totally. Um, The big chase scene at the end. So, so the one that's the biggest one at the, the end is basically a ripoff of Smokey and the Bandit, Dukes of Hazard, all yeah. of that 80s. Just And look, the technology improved. But if you go back and watch, Smokey and the Bandit did a marvelous job of what? Making the cops look like morons. The bad guys who were good guys look incredibly smart and daring. And I'm watching that, and I'm basically th- thinking that this is somebody who grew up watching films like that. And, and it's like, what if we update that to 2003, <laughs> which by the way is genius because it's going to get people. But I really, this one more than the first one, it really occurred to me that this is a very Smokey and the Bandit, the Dukes type of approach to cars. Yeah. yeah I can see, I can see that for sure. Inspiration. I'm out of statements. Dex, do you guys, either one of you guys have any extra ones before we get into the rankings here? I'm out of statements too. Okay. okay let's go. All right. Let's do it. So, all right, we, uh, we're we going to dive into the two main ranking categories, definitive villain ratings and the overall entertainment value here on a 1 to 10 scale. Uh, but this episode of Action Movie Rewind on Mackie and Judd, presented by our friends at Meadows, if you want to get out and enjoy the last month and a half here of summer golf into fall golf, the Meadows at Mystic, great place, Dex. It's a great, spot, a great spot to enjoy a round of golf. They have a, The great thing about Meadows at Mystic Lake is I, I play a lot of just, you know, hunky-dunky courses around. The great thing about Meadows is they have the GPS on their carts because uh, I, I can't really, I'm, oh. not, I'm not necessarily a pin seeker, as they say, right? But I still like to know the number of what club I should be able to hit, you know? I don't, and I, yeah, the range well, finders, you know, they don't, they don't always work the best. They're always moving. It's hard to get there. The GPS infused carts help you out. They have a great uh, a golf shop and, and, and apparel shop there, too. There's nothing worse than when you need an extra sleeve of balls and they're just like, you know, just three, just three sleeves there. They have a full service golf shop, which is awesome. You can book your tee time at the Meadows at Mystic Lake. It's just down the down the highway here from the Twin Cities in uh, in Shakopee and Prior Lake. Go visit them, Meadows at Mystic Lake, GolfTheMeadows.com to book your tee time. Also, our friends at Equity Partners have been a great help to people that are looking to sell their homes and make the process a hundred percent hassle free. So. Uh, they offer traditional listings, all cash offers, but where they really stand out is the WeHab program, where they'll partner with you to fix up your home before you put it on the market. From simple fixes to total remodels, they're looking to help you get the absolute most for your home. And when you partner with Equity Partners, you can move before you sell. You can put offers in on your next home, non-contingent on the sale of yours, which is huge. Learn more at EquityPartnersMN.com, EquityPartnersMN.com, or call 612 999 Two two four four. All right. So uh, the first category here is the definitive villain rating. The criteria we use are how iconic is the villain, how ruthless, and how charismatic are they. The best villains we have reviewed on a one to ten scale are Cyrus the Virus from Con Air. So He's good. our only ten right now. So good. Caster Troy from Face Off is a nine, and then we have Dom Toretto from Fast and the Furious. The original is an eight point two. Mm-hmm. At the bottom of our rankings, not counting the personal demons from Top Gun, which really was no villain in Top Gun, <laughs> the British car-loving gangster from Gone in 60 Seconds is the worst villain we have reviewed at a 1.3. Senator Trent from Hard to Kill at a 3.3. And then everyone else is kind of in the middle. The aliens from Independence Day, Chong Lee from Bloodsport. 
Surfer Bodie from Point Break, the F5 Tornadoes from Twister are all in there. So we'll start with Judd here. Carter Verone Carter is the Verone. Argentinian drug lord here from <laughs> Too Fast, Too Furious. So as I said in statements, the rat scene is fantastic. Like I really, that's a really well done, scary scene. Is he iconic? No, he's not. Is he more of a, a cliche drug gangster? Absolutely. I'm giving him a four. I would give him a two if not for the rat scene. I just don't think he's iconic. And and like the whole thing was like um an Al Pacino ripoff. It didn't feel it didn't feel like they did nearly enough to establish the character. And like at the end, I don't even think he dies, right? He just gets arrested. Yeah, he, he yeah. just gets and they kind of left it open for him. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe he comes back. I have no idea. If I he just comes didn't back. think he was that great. He so what was your score again? A four. Okay. He does not come back, by the way. He does not. Um, Nor should he. he he's ruthless for sure um, because of that rat scene. That, like, there's definitely on, on the ruthless scale, he definitely is, is near uh, the, the top of that scale. But in terms of iconic, and he's just, I don't know, there's nothing really special about him. I, I give him a five. Um, I give him a five out of ten. I, I don't think he's completely irrelevant, but... He's also in this franchise just once, and he's clearly a bad dude, but I don't think he's that iconic either. So I'll give him a 5 out of 10. All right, maybe I feel like usually I'm on the high side of all of these here. I'm like the most optimistic or something, but I gave him a 2 because he's just a generic replaceable drug lord. Yeah. Yeah. He could be anyone. He's not He's not a prominent I, – I like he's a rap, fairly prominent actor because he's been in some stuff, but, yep. you know, he's just a, he's just a guy, if you will. He's a backup linebacker yep. that could be swapped out. He's a special teams guy. Uh-huh. Uh, he is fairly ruthless, but at the end of the day, he did remove the rat from that guy's stomach. So he gets points docked for not being okay. full-on ruthless. He's not really iconic. Maybe somewhat within the franchise he's iconic just because he's you know one of the villains. Uh-huh. But uh, I give him a, a 2, which makes the score a 3.7, making him... The third worst villain we have reviewed, just above Senator Trent from Hard to Kill. So that's fair. Okay, that's fair. Okay, overall entertainment value on a one to ten scale. We used to call this the one to ten Seagal scale, and a couple people have said, "Why don't you still rate it based on Seagal?" So it's up to you, Judd, if you want to say that it's worth uh, you know X amount of Seagals, or you can just go with the standard one through ten scale. But how entertaining was Too Fast, Too Furious? All right. And, um, and before sorry, before yeah, you give your yeah. Con Air is a nine point seven. Uh, out of 10, Top Gun Maverick a 9.3, Independence Day an 8.7, and The Fast and the Furious original was an 8.5 when we reviewed it. The worst movies we've reviewed are Gone in 60 Seconds, 4.7, Hard to Kill a 5, and Bloodsport a 6. Okay. On the Seagal scale, um, I'm going to give this, and, and I think I was pretty um, pretty positive about the original Fast and the Furious. I'm going to give this one a 7 which I think is probably a notch or two below what I gave the original. Uh, this is this is a fun film. The original was fun and and was much more, I felt, cohesive at times. Um, scary. The scary thing is um, Vin Diesel's not wrong about saying that this feels like they brought the franchise back, but it's still genius. But yes, I think in fairness, most importantly in fairness to the first one, which I think was clearly above this one, I'm going to give this one a 7. Wow. Okay. okay. Uh, I give it a 6. It's a 6 out of 10. Uh, th- th- there's funny moments. It's it's almost like hilarious nostalgia from, from that early 2000s of the fashion trends, and there's some goofy times with Tyrese and Paul Walker that I enjoy. 
I love Eva Mendez, but the plot in general is so messy. Like it's just it's such a messy plot. The writing is not great. Um, but there's there there's some groundwork that is laid for the next movies. Like I I would probably stop and watch some of these scenes if it was on TV. Um, I don't think I've I used, I've seen this like probably four or five times, but it's probably legitimately been like ten years since I've seen it. Um, so it, it's a six out of ten for me. It's not as good as the original. It's a six out of ten. Uh, it's a five for me. It's fine. I don't hate it. It's just kind of it's just kind of a movie. Yeah, and I think a lot of people that are that love this franchise might even say, yeah, business kind of picks back up once you get past like the second, the third, especially Fast Five is is very highly regarded. So it's fine. I don't know that I'm glued to this if if I see it on TV necessarily, but I do love me some early two thousands Paul Walker, yeah. and uh, it's a five for me, which makes it a six collectively tied with Bloodsport. As the third worst wow. action movie we have reviewed mm. in the rebooted version, I feel that uh, you know what I mean. Bloodsport's awful. I feel that that is a terrible uh, injustice to, to the Fast and Furious franchise. I mean, uh, you I mean, it your, is what you it can is. Have your opinion. It is what it this is. is a, this is a democratic process. Here. It is. It is indeed. Stop it's the just feel. below Twister. Point Break is is a seven point eight. Uh, Face Off is an eight. Air Force One is an eight point two. So just to give some some context. So, all right, so I got a, well, we we were, we were going to do Bullet Train at some point, which is still in theaters. I'd like to do that. So we could do Bullet, it's been out for two or three weeks now, so enough people are starting to see this movie. Um, do you guys want to do Bullet Train with Brad Pitt, which is currently out for next week? I would love to do it. I'd prefer to put it off until the following week when training camp practices are done. I thought that was That's done. fair. Uh, training camp with fans is done. Access oh. will be full for us next week. So I prefer to do it once I don't have training camp to go to all day. We can, yeah, we Which can. should we be can, the following week. We can do that. We okay. can do that. Okay, no then way. I'm going to give you guys a, a few other options here. Uh, I'm going to give you like two or three options to choose from. And we've, we've, we've done some of these, but not all of these on the, the old iteration of this. But The Rock with Nicolas Cage. We've already done a bunch of Cage movies, though. Yeah. yeah. Days of Thunder. With Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise. Ooh, I've never seen that I've one. Never heard think. of it. I don't know what that is. Oh, you never heard of Days of Thunder? It was oh. big. Tom Cruise, NASCAR driver. Yes. Oh so yes. Tom Cruise. Car. One of the Tom biggest Cruise, movies Top of his Gun, career. Tom Cruise, NASCAR driver. This was uh, Tom Cruise riding the wave after Top Gun, after Risky Business, and right Days before he Thunder. got into the Mission in. Impossible stuff. And not to be confused with Cocktail, which also was Tom Cruise, right? That was, yeah, not oh, an Nicole action Kidman? movie, but okay. no. Great. Yeah, this is the first of three Tom Cruise, Nicole Kidman movies. I it's believe this is met. the year they got married. Yeah. Probably where they met. Let's do Tom Days of Thunder, dude. It, it keeps, Let's, it keeps, yeah, and it keeps our car train on, and we'll even do Bullet Train afterwards. So, like, we got, okay. We got some, we, we got a theme going here. We can, we can All ride right. out this theme. Days okay. Of Thunder. Okay, cool. All right. There it is. Action wow. movie rewind here on Mackie and Judd. Deep dives into some of the most popular, prominent action movies of all time.